This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. Before we start the show, I wanted to say thanks for listening. We want to bring you the best show we can, and sometimes it takes us a week or two to cut, edit, and present you something polished. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hear the long version with no frills and wants it as soon as possible, we're now putting our Ready Player Two episode reviews on Patreon. Pay as much as you think is fair and get access to uncut episodes just hours after we record it. Join our community of gunters at patreon.com forward slash get to the good part, no spaces. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. We start off chapter 0007. That's that's where we are. And I'm going to be honest with you, dude. I got a lot of questions. Like, I've had some suspicions moving from the past few chapters about certain subjects that we're going to get to. But this one is light on the content, heavy on the big questions. I expected that from you, because... Rereading this chapter, I was like, I could see lots of questions coming up now. So let's dive right in. It's starting to, yeah, yeah, it's starting to smell like something. So let's just let's just read out the first sentence here. I stared at the shard in awe, feeling a strange combination of exhilaration and disappointment. Oh, and it's about this time where, where we kind of suspected is that he feels like he is sold out. You know, he feels like he's a sixer. You know, he feels like he's, he's paying someone else yeah. to do the work he should be doing. He he feels kind of scummy for now being in this position. The the shard is tainted with IOI-ness. Tainted love Ooh. for the shard. Uh, uh, tainted love. Yeah. Exactly. And and I loved I liked how he put it, it was like a he was like a noob following a walkthrough. Uh and if if you've ever played any number of video games that you just couldn't figure out how to get through, where you go to YouTube and you pull it up and figure out, you'd watch somebody else to walk through it to do the thing to get past the point that you're at. It's just a level of giving up, right? It's a level of hopelessness. That's kind of the way I play all video games right now. And I, <laughs> when I load up my classic NES and I'm like, you know what? I want to do a, a total, you know, I want to go through Metroid, classic Metroid, right? So I'm like, all right, I got I to gotta watch this YouTube walkthrough, and I'm going to do it exactly the way they did it. You know, I don't, I don't see the problem with going through someone's experience. Like, I don't really have a problem with that. You know, if I consider a game to be an experience, and if my experience is halted because I'm just not getting something, I don't have any pride in that regard. I'm like, fuck it, let's fall back to someone who figured it out. I don't have a problem with that, but that's just me, right? I don't have my pride wrapped up in having to to know it all. But in that sense, it, it feels like that transition, like I, I relate to it from, a, from a, a work perspective. It feels like that transition from doing to managing to a certain extent. And when you step into the role of 
if you let's if you're like a software developer, for example, if if everything you've done that you measure value is in troubleshooting and problem solving and programming and and really being in there and dealing with you know the thing that's being created hands on, and then you step out into a management role. After a while, you lose those skills. After a while, you feel like you have no value, right? After a while, it's it's you really feel like you're telling people from a larger scale how it should be done, but you recognize the fact that you've just got to step back and let these professionals do it because you're no longer in that place to be that lead. And this kind of feels like that. It kind of feels like he's kind of reached a place where he feels kind of useless. Becoming rich and famous can do that to you. You get a little soft. It takes you to a place where you're now making changes. You're, you're, you're wielding the power of making changes from the monetary standpoint. I mean, you could take that money and seclude yourself and then develop by yourself, right? You could pull a holiday. But it, anyways, I, I digress there. But the gist there is that it's, it's there before him. It's the spinning shard. And Lohengrin reaches out, hand goes right through it, can't take it. But when Parsifal reaches out and touches it, oh, that's where the first big question comes into play. Uh, oh. Now, that's, it, it, he has the flashback. He has the momentary flashback. Not seeing it from outside, like a third-party perspective. It's, it's literally from Kira's perspective from the first person view like as if he was wearing an ONI which is impossible because she's like what 10 when she's creating this graphic yeah this first graphic that she's she's designed on the computer that the age of 10 it, it didn't exist you know ONI couldn't have recorded that somebody had to have made it up and that person would have had to have been Halliday. We don't know. I don't know. I don't suspect that anymore. Like I'm getting into I'm getting into the tinfoil hat range now, dude. Because there's the whole what about her room? No one knew what her room looked like. Like there's hints throughout the story. We're seeing things that no one else would have seen. Right? Unless it was her. She would have known. Or someone really close, like like it wasn't be her parents. It would be a uh, what was it? The people that did this student exchange, the Barnetts. Yeah, but even then, though, age ten, she wouldn't have been there. This would have been a memory from from the United Kingdom. Yeah, right. So, it uh, uh, first off, where did this come from? Right, who would have assumed that that this would have been? put in the system or like this who would who would have assumed the circumstance you know i could see like a as a if you're trying to sell a a narration from someone else's perspective it's a bit like watching a documentary right the, the actors in the documentary it's not the real situation they're not the real people usually it's they're simulating they're they're acting out to to better represent whatever it is that they're doing the documentary of, you know, how you have in a documentary, like flashbacks, you know, the person went down to the other person's house and snuck into the house and you see them like drive up the car and get out and open the door. It's, it's obviously not the situation at hand. It's a reproduction, if you will, or an acting representation. So could be that, but then there's that question of, but if this is an O&I and, and the only thing that O&I does is allow you to record yourself and experience others, she's not around to record it who would have done that so there's a lot of hints here you know one is we've got this this momentary flashback 
from the perspective of Kira. And then we had in the past chapter some details of the fact that there's stuff that only Kira would have known. There's stuff that Kira would have only Kira would have seen, like the inside of her bedroom. I'm kind of in the place where I'm thinking. What are you okay, thinking? Okay, I'm gonna fucking. I'm just. I'm just gonna. I don't know beyond chapter seven. So I'm just gonna tinfoil hat this. Oh boy. You know, you don't need to put on that actual tinfoil hat that you're. No, no, no. This is the metaphorical tinfoil hat. Okay. Although I have, I have tinfoil if we need to go there. But I'm going to say that Halliday took Kira, maybe, and used his ONI device through his own passions to try to map out her mind post mortem. Whoa. And, and potentially disgusting. pull her into the machine in some way. And that maybe, maybe this game was left by Kira, post-mortem, a copy, if you will, or ghost in the machine. Because, again, there's only shit here, and, and it's stuff that, you know, it's stuff that everyone would have missed, that everyone would have missed. Because this isn't Halliday. This can't be Halliday. Halliday doesn't have access to this. Halliday is, for all intents and purposes, a narcissist on, on a level of grandeur, that is just at a level of entertainment. He wants everyone to know as much about him as possible. This is, can't be Halliday. You read what Lowe said about it. Why would he create a sim of one of Kira's childhood memories from her perspective? That would be a pretty messed up night of programming, man. Even for Halliday. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so they're recognizing that Something strange, because that would be, that's a little much even for somebody as kooky as James Halliday. And I'm just remembering this now. Do you remember the first synopsis of the book? Like the first book pitch, the first book write-up? That I don't remember who got it or from, from what system, or I don't remember what bookstore it was from, but they ended up removing it. Like, it wasn't in there. What Was it you that found it? I found it, yeah. Remember the, the first one references somebody coming back from the dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and then it disappeared. And then the next synopsis didn't say that. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of wondering if we're not talking about Kira having come back from the dead. If Kira has got you know something to offer here, a story to share, uh, something that needs to be said from her perspective. And uh, again, with O and I, it's it's. I think highly possible that the technology is pulling data from everyone. And I think potentially the reasoning for, for researching this was to try to bring her back to life in the Oasis. And that the product that is the ONI came from that. That's tinfoil hat theory. That's where my head's going right now. That's, that's what I'm guessing. And this was just another hint that there's just some shit going on. That that couldn't be explained other than to have Kira as as a an agent within this story. Okay. Well, uh, obviously I know everything. Right. So I am going to put my poker face on, which is still on, <laughs> and just say, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to nod my head and say, okay. Yeah. Let's continue. Continue on. So. What uh? Where do you want to? Where do you want to beat to point next? Because this is this is kind of pretty shattering. I think um, it, it, he comes out of that moment of that momentary hallucination, and Lohengrin asks if he's okay. Like you know, he looked like he kind of spaced out for a moment, 
And he describes to her what he saw. And as you mentioned, that was her her response to that. So this is clearly the toll that Pars lost to pay, which was what 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 toll? Like I don't I didn't perceive this as as a pay. I didn't either. It's not like like he had hit points taken away or anything. But they're like, so this must be the toll. The, you know, it's like a flashback. That's 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 messed that's up. Not a, that's not a toll. I mean, you know, if you need to make a rhyme work, you know, or whatever. I don't. I don't think the toll's been paid yet. And, and I'm having not gone into the chapter. He's getting phone calls from H and calls from Shoto. And my initial fear when I was reading through this was that all of a sudden something was going to come up. And, and when it said, I, I saw something that I hadn't seen for a long time, what I expected was that he would have like a health points rather than the inf- the, the infinity mm. symbol. Now that would be a toll. <laughs> right. That would be fucked up. Or or if he looked and he was all of a sudden back to level 99 rather than oh. level infinity or whatever it is, right? I remember early on when I was reading the whole, the first reading about like the toll being, I always thought that was credits, money. Yeah. In some manner. Like he would have to dole out a, or, or lose part of his share of the company or something like that. That was what I had envisioned. Well, he did. He, he, he doled out a billion dollars and he did it. He, he lived up to it. That's what I kind of saw. Like I started to, I remember formulating this in my head as I was reading. Like, well, maybe he, in order for him to solve all these, because he obviously can't do it on his own anymore. Mm-hmm. He's too busy running his company, right? That he's got to basically hire out a bunch of Sixers <laughs> to do his bidding and and ask the toll. And I might add here is that this is this is the best way to do it because he's not hiring a bunch of sixers. What he's done is he's he's hanging a digital carrot worth a billion dollars in front of everybody saying, "Hey, first one to get the bait gets the carrot." Right? Well, he's crowdsourcing it. I mean, he's crowdsourcing the. He's not hiring anyone. He's just crowdsourcing it. It's as if if I went to do it to a person who does a graphic design, and I wanted to compete three people, and I said, "And here's the thing I want to build," then they would compete for it, and I would say the winner gets the money. He's crowdsourcing it. <laughs> he's actually doing it better than IOI did. It's smart, right? Yeah, but he still feels that shame, which I give him some credit for understanding that, like what he's how he accomplished this was not quite as pure as the way he accomplished things in the first book. Right. He recognizes that. Yeah. He clearly lost some of the character traits that we grew to like him from, but at least he understands that he's not who he was. Right. And and it's been a few chapters that were, that he's been reminded of this. So yeah, good for him. But you know, I think he's quickly kind of forgetting all about that and worrying about the shard and what to do next. So what comes up in his HUD that he hadn't seen in a long time was the message for the scoreboard that he is now no longer the winner. Now he's on the scoreboard and a crystal shard next to six empty shard slots show up, which is now what everyone can see. The whole world can see. And that's what he hadn't seen in a long time. Whereas, you know, in the last book he saw when he received the key, he'd have the key next to his name and his HUD. So it's on. Now Now media attention is all over him. And I found it really interesting in, in this book that 
that Lowe would, would kind of pitch back to him and say, you know, do me a favor and don't embarrass us. <laughs> By the way, the pressure's on and you've been a dick for the past three years. Yeah. Because you've been a, a fucking, you've been a peeping Tom. You know, you've been killing people out of the Oasis. You've been a dick. Stop embarrassing the people who have been defending you. You know, and, and then it kind of pitches back to that whole, you know, Bill Murray says that, you know, when you get rich, you've got a couple of years to be a complete asshole before, you know, it either becomes permanent or you knock that shit out. Right. Everybody's allowed that year and a half of being a complete dick. So I, I was like, eh, that's in, in, interesting. So now that he's back on the forefront, now that media is lifting him up again, it's basically saying, look, you've been a dick. You have fallen from grace. And the handful of people that have supported you still believe in you, but you've let us down. Now that you're now that you're back in the saddle again, don't disappoint us. Please stop being a dick. Yeah, and he was rightfully so a little annoyed at Low. And really, should he be? Because he just admitted that he had, that he had listened in on her without saying as much, and she assumed as much. And it confirmed the things that everyone else suspected about him. But how is somebody like Low, like the Low Five, going to be able to relate to him, who basically overnight turned into the one of the wealthiest people in the world and the CEO of GSS? And like, they can't begin. I, I can't understand what it's like to have that kind of money and power and influence. You know what? They still put their pants on the same way. It's just that one of them goes and builds a space station in their free time. That's the only difference. That's the only difference really, well, right? The thing is that that Lowe realized <laughs> that a line I think was crossed. Yeah. And did that whole zipping of the lips and thing which to me, it was just th like this whole interaction here was kind of reminiscent of that first interaction between Parzival and Artemis. Because Artemis did that whole zipping of the lips thing, throwing away the key. Then he takes the key, unlocks it. Yeah, you know, like when, when she was being a flibber to gibbet. Flibber to gibbet? Or yeah. Flibber to gibbet. Right. So uh, I saw this as a, as the Back to the Future Part 2 version of the conversation between Marty and his mother. <laughs> okay. All right. I could, I could see that. And then, then they kind of move on beyond that. But he is hurt, I guess is the best way to put that. Somewhat offended. Because, you know, when you know someone looks up to you, you don't want to disappoint them. And he even goes a little bit further to offer her assistance. Basically assigns an, account, an assistant to her. Says I'll have an accountant and a lawyer work with you. We'll get you some some defense, you know, uh, security while you make your transition. So I think he's honestly trying to be like the best person he can for what he perceives as a fan. I mean, he doesn't need to do that, right? Didn't have to. Now it's a good idea because you know it's like he's trying to provide a service that he. He got, mm -hmm. but because of the circumstances that, you know, of course he was going to get the assistance like that. You right. Know, 
but a regular schmo off the street who just stumbles into a billion dollars isn't gonna isn't gonna get that kind of treatment. Nobody's right. gonna like flock to them except for maybe relatives who want a piece of it. Well, it's look at the, it's the world's problems haven't been solved. She's in in a in a deadly situation. She could be kidnapped by any number of people. You know, it held at gunpoint and taken to the nearest ATM to extract a billion dollars out of her bank account. Like, she's in danger. Yeah. You know, with that kind of money and walking around, especially where she is. You know, anyone would be. So let's pull back to the reading of the crystal. Ooh. Because I spent a little time on this and I'm kind of really hoping that you were able to extract something from this. Because uh, I did a little searching on some of the phraseology here and it just did not pull Jack up for me. Okay. But when reading into the crystal etched on the sides, it says her paint and her canvas, the one and the zero, the very first heroine demoted to hero. So I get the paint and the canvas, the one and the zero. It's basically saying that her, you know, her first digital picture, her first artwork expression in the computer realm, the, 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 the binary one and z- ones and zeros that she used to create this first picture. But the very first heroine demoted to hero. I I don't I don't get it. I, I, I looked that up and I didn't find any reference to that other than this damn book, which I'm trying to avoid. Sure. Well, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid that. If you were Lohengrin, mm-hmm. you'd know. Lohengrin says, I think I know. But then Parsville says, oh, no, 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 no. I'll take it from here. Well, she references that there are a lot of clues. Like, there's a ton of other things. And I think what, what Parzival was kind of pulling back on was kind of like, I, I want to take it from here. I already feel bad enough for leaning on you for this yeah. kind of help. You know, you've gotten me here. Don't give away the rest. Yeah, I'm not going to give you another billion dollars. Well, I don't think you would <laughs> I don't. I don't didn't feel like that was the where he was no, going. No, I don't think that. so either, but... But but I mean, still though, right? It's a pride I mean, thing. He was, yeah, it's a pride thing, and and maybe that's one of those things he's going to have to get past. Maybe that's part of the toll he has to pay, is getting past his pride and, and recognizing when he's needs to rely on others, like, almost exclusively. Yeah, but I, okay. So I presume what you're referencing here is is that shifting between pronouns, that that shifting between masculine versus feminine. You know, and then somewhere in between. Now, is that what you're getting at here? I'm not getting at anything. Oh, son of a bitch. I, I don't know, because why would you consider it to be a demotion? If, if you're able to shift sort of gender identities, why would either be a demotion? I guess is my point. Like you would consider it as like an even playing field from two different sides. If you can shift between teams. You're not demoting. You're just experiencing across you know, across different uh, genders, if you will, and and portraying that within yourself across different genders. Why would that be a demotion? Well, I don't know how to talk about this much more without kind of steering you in a particular direction. Mm. So. I'm going to tell you to think deeper. I don't know. Fuck. <laughs> Go deeper. 
All right. I'm just going to have to, like Parzival, I'm just going to have to take that and hang it off to the side and come back and beat my head against it later. So I, I, I guess the, the advice I would give you is to be more like Parzival in Ready Player One. This would require looking at your your copy of Anorak's Almanac and your Grail Diary. That's about all I can really say, I think, without telling you what I think I remember from when I read this six months ago. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to have to... I'm gonna have you, to, might have to s- you might have to let that kind of, you know... Simmer. Simmer. Yeah. Wait till there's a little sizzle. And, you know, just think about it. Because this, like, this is... Ow. Um, I'm trying to think, like, what this is kind of like, but... Maybe I don't have anything. Uh, I I think you're, the best shot you have at getting to where this is intending is to be more more like poor Parzival. Not that being poor has anything to do with it. I'm just saying like the way he was hunting then. I see. Okay. I'm going to have to set that aside. And uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I can expand much further on it because I'm kind of lost in the verbiage here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, so I, you can simmer. Not, not necessarily now. We still got a little bit more chapter to go through. Did but. she have? I wonder an al an alternative uh, avatar in the oasis. I wonder. You talk about Kira? Yeah, I wonder. I mean, like for example, you know, you're a heroine, but if for whatever reason you feel like you've got to don a, a masculine facade in order to gain power, in order to gain respect in an environment where it would would not like you know be generally given it's you know the uh, it, does that make sense sure like you know gamer girls i don't think are given the kind of respect that they ought to be given right as a player just across the board as a human playing a game because it's entertaining so i wonder if 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 this is one of those situations it's kind of like to get any respect i had to don this this masculine quote-unquote hero I had to demote from demote myself to a a facade that would be more generally accepted and give less shit. But that feels very H. Yes, I guess I'll throw you a bone and say you're sort of in the right direction. All right, all right, all right. Say no more. Say no more. Uh, I, I guess I'll I'll let it expand and figure that out. But but thank you for teasing that along a little bit. That kind of helps. Unless it was misdirection, and that's totally possible too. I, I get that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, so Parzival gives her the money, and there's kind of that general chitter chat about him not disappointing her, and him basically telling her that you know to be careful with the money that she's going to be probably pretty distracted, uh, and, and pushing her back. Where do we pick up from there? What what do we miss? So I guess one thing about that was I it, it 
reading that exchange a few times, part of me kind of felt like Parzival decided to give her the money right then and there mm-hmm. to, in some ways, stop Low from saying anything about the clue. Well, well, he reminded her. He reminded her. Look, here's the contract. Right, you you can't talk about this when this is all over. You can. Well, you well, well, no, 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 no. I'm talking about like the you know. Oh, I think I know what it is. You know, if 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 you were about to tell somebody, oh, I think I know the answer to this riddle, mm-hmm. and then they said, well, well, here's the billion dollars I'm I you've just earned. You're like, what riddle? <laughs> I, I guess. Are you saying that? Are you saying that he whipped out the cash in order to shut her up? Like, stop looking, stop looking. I got this. You stop it. I think it certainly helped take the, take the conversation away from. I think I know what the answer to this riddle is. Yeah, because he doesn't want to compete with her. He would, and that's a good point. Like, that's interesting. I don't know if that was intended in the storyline, but I know. That if I'm, I would view her as a top contender, somebody who is competing and the billion dollars, a distraction. Here's your billion dollars. And now get off the playing field. Yeah. Go away. I don't, don't, don't even worry about whether or not, you know, the answer to this, just walk away. Here's a billion dollars. Just walk away and don't talk about it until I'm done. And I hadn't really, I hadn't really read that into this chapter, but that's an interesting perspective. Is that what you were getting at? Yeah, it's just that man Lowe's got to shut up about this. I don't. I want to do this myself. Let me just, let me give her a billion dollars. You, you, you're gonna have to worry about your home and shit from now on. So uh, just get yeah. distracted, like I got yeah. distracted. Yeah, you know, <laughs> see, see how you do. <laughs> I'm gonna start counting down two years. You got two years to be an asshole. Yeah, see how you handle a billion dollars. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I'd love to try. No, I meant him saying that to her, but yeah, you know, you too, damn it. Yeah. So the assistant that Parzival gives to Lohengrin is named Marvin. I'm thinking Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, I was thinking Marvin the Martian. Uh. Puny human would make Earth go kaboom. No, no. I never saw that. Oh, oh, well, you're missing out, buddy. That's some good Saturday morning cartoon shit right there. It's a Bugs Bunny stuff. Never saw Marvin the Martian? You got to look that up, man. See, I was thinking the depressed robot from Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide. Hitchhiker's Guide. Because right, it's basically right. a, you know, a worker bee, you know, an assistant, mind you. I get you. I'm here to keep your finances from going kaboom. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Something like that. So he does that. Was there something significant there? Was it like a, or was that the callback that you're going to? Was I was just making that callback. Right on. They swap business cards again. This feels so much like that first conversation with Artemis, where they swap cards, and he's like, "Oh my god, this is really cool. This is by far the coolest contact card I've ever seen." Blah 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 blah. Yeah, but now that's kind of fancy. Now his is an adventure cartridge. Uh, and hers is... A, same one. Is it the same one? He oh. says so. It's like It's been it. so long. And then hers is a VHS copy of The Legend of Billie Jean. Uh, duh. <laughs> of course it is. Which is interesting, because he does make, the, he does make the, the comment earlier. He says, time to get paid, Billie Jean. Yeah. So, makes sense. Oh, but, but I mean, it flips, right? It changes, kind of depending. Depending on, on her at mood or the sure. conversation. But that's the default. 
So they exchange cards, and he teleports away, goes back to Falco, and he checks out of his machine, gets out of his chair, walks upstairs, and crashes. Now, this is where I think shit gets kind of cool for this chapter. I had a feeling you were... Uh, there is a part in this that I knew you were going to like. Uh, I love the dream sequence. I love the music that he chose. You know, the fact that, that when he falls asleep, he has this reoccurring nightmare that's drilled into his head of salt and pepper singing Push It. Yeah, I knew you In regards like to the shiny red button. Push it good. Again, right. around, around this time in the first book, he's having a dream. The, the candy red button. That's what comes to mind. And and the fact that, that salt and pepper, you know, come out behind the egg, the gold egg, and they're on the gold turntables, right? Just just interesting. Just an interesting flow of symbolism here. And I'm not sure. I'm sure that it was. I said it's ridiculous at this point to say I'm not sh- sure whether or not this was intended, but fuck it, it probably was. This idea that his wealth and and the pressures of being wealthy, the gold, the, the mounds of gold, everything gold, solid gold record, solid gold turntable, right? And them saying, push it. It's it's his wealth that he's trying to escape from, That he's that is basically saying, you need to end this, give it up. And then as soon as he does, which he'd never done in dreams before, you know, the, the Star Wars Death Star klaxon alerts and he finds himself before his trailer stack. And now he realizes that he's he's pressed the button and it's destroyed his stack, which falls on top of him, which and, he lets fall on top of him, which he lets. He doesn't run away. He, he, he accepts it. He embraces it. And I, and I think the reality here is that him pressing the button is him trying to escape the problems he has had with dealing with his wealth, the creativity that's been killed from being wealthy. It's, it's the same kind of painting of an experience. Like, you know, when you have too much money, it's like having a cheat code. For me, cheat codes make the game unplayable. I don't want to play if I have to have the cheat code. Like, it's no longer interesting. It's no longer a challenge. I'm no longer really experiencing it like it was intended to. It just loses interest in me. And it's not even a moral conundrum for me. It's just a, now I can do anything and I don't want to do anything. And that's what money's been for him. So for him to, to hit that button is escaping the, the financial hole that he's put himself in and the responsibilities that come with that. But in doing so, it's going to would devastate the entire world. Everyone that's impoverished, everybody that uses the Oasis to escape, to make money, to barely live on the edge of poverty, he would be blowing up himself. If somebody had had canceled the Oasis, it would have devastated him. He would have probably killed himself, as indicated in the first book, where he had suicidal tendencies. It would have killed him. It would have ruined all of his hopes and dreams for finding the egg and would have just utterly devastated the point of his life in the stacks. And I think he knows it. I think he knows that hitting the button and wiping out the Oasis would be devastating for for a younger and poorer Parzival. I don't think we have to worry about him hit, hitting that red button, do you? I don't know. I don't know. Again, he's got he's had suicidal tendencies. He might just say, fuck it. it. It's it's worth it. It's worth it if, if we lose a lot of people because the Oasis is wiped out. 
You know, maybe, maybe it is worth it. Maybe it's maybe he's being selfish and saying, I can't handle this anymore. I can't I can't handle not being able to find the crystals on my own. I can't handle being useless. I, I have I'm all money and power and no purpose. So he could be selfish. And maybe that's just him knowing that if he's selfish, it would be a mistake. It's, it's a, a mistake. mistake. Bum, 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 bum. It's a mistake. So correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Push It one of your um, favorite songs? Yeah. Well, it used to be. Used to be. When you were playing video games and you needed yeah, like, yeah. So I, I played this uh, uh, Apache helicopter simulation, which was really just a bunch of freaking lines on a screen. Uh, I wish I could say that it was, but it was it was awesome. It was awesome. I loved it. I played it every day. I played it so frequently that I had to press down the jacket of the floppy disk to slow the spinning of the floppy disk for the system to pick up the data on the disk and then read into memory and then play the game. That's how much I played this. I probably wasn't healthy for the the disk. You, you had to slow God, down the disk? Why did it slow down the disk? It, it, I don't know why, but it, it got to a point when playing the game that it would spin and it would say, can't read. And I don't know what made me think. I was desperate, I suppose. So I just pushed down on the disc while it was spinning and reading. And it slowed it down enough to where it, it, the game picked it up. And it, it was just kind of like a last ditch measure. And it worked. And then from then on, whenever that would come up, can't read disc, uh, I would just push my finger on it just enough. you know, And then it would slow it down. You could hear it spinning. And it would slow it down, and uh, and then it would pick up, and I'd be able to play the game. I remember doing that when stuff like on the Apple II would just crash, right? And then it'd be like that you could hear the disc spinning. Like, what happens if I squeeze the little bit of floppy disk that I can see? Right, but this is this was like the five and a quarter, right? Yep. You know, and and that had a flexible plastic jacket, not like the three and a halves, where that was like a hard plastic. So yeah, that's just what I had to do. But I fucking loved that song, man. I just it just gave me the biggest high, and in the back of my head, I, I it it felt like I was flying the chopper, even though it was you know line art, and it had only three colors, right? Yeah, I, I can so, totally envision in the background right now hearing this song. Like I, I can picture myself editing it into this episode, like right now. Yeah. Oh, yes. Just loved it. Just loved it. I remember when I when I first read that, I was like, I can't wait for you to get to this part. (laughs) But there's a lot of dream symbolism here, right? There's an enormous amount of pressure telling him to push it, push it, push it, push it real good. Uh, And and all of that coming from a, a, a sort of musical tower of gold. Yeah, and it's interesting too because the the egg is also at the center of that. So you know, I wonder if that's the back of his head thinking, maybe Halliday would have advised him to to push it. I mean, he made the button. He knew that the button would be necessary potentially at some point. He knew what it could do. That's why he developed it. That's why he created it. So, uh, but but it's interesting how things really shift gears after he presses the button. And I think he also knows that in pressing the button he would be doing significant damage to people like Lohengrin. And many others, but yeah. And many others, but you know, more directly, Lohengrin is a connection to, to who he was. 
you know, somebody who's undernourished, someone who's alone, someone who has to use like a, an automated robot that's been, you know, modified to defend her trailer or camper, whatever she's living in. It, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not a great situation for, for what is perceivably a really good person. And um, after having been through this experience with her, I, there's also these other things that come up. That selfishness that we're talking about is a part of him being a dick. When somebody says something bad about him, he goes and zeroes their account out. You know, real dick move. I mean, it, it's it's petty. It's it's petty. It's petty. It's a huge dick move. Huge. <laughs> Enormous. We're we're talking eggplant dick move here. So if this is the first time that this part of the dream has occurred, it, it might also be the first time anybody's really kind of slapped him across the face with, with him having been a dick, you know, in a personal level from somebody that he respected and him now knowing in his subconscious, if you will, that, that pressing this button, him trying to escape that there's more, more beyond the button. That there are repercussions of the button. That that him pressing the button is like him blowing up the people he loves. Uh, I like that. I really dig that. You know? And, and when the trailer comes tumbling down on him, man, that's just where the chapter ends. You know what I liked? I liked the big money, no whammies reference. <laughs> big bucks, no whammies. No whammies, no whammies, and stop. Stop. Stop it out. Yep, that's absolutely right. Oh my god, I love that was my favorite show. The only downside to the only downside to that show was that they had like maybe five whammy animations that they would go between, and they would reuse some of them so frequently uh, that it was just kind of like after a number of watches, you you were just hoping that they would have a new animation for the whammy, and they never did. They had like five that they used. Our lives were terrible then. (laughs) <laughs> not enough whammy animations alright so, so actually, side note here oh go ahead oh no go ahead I was just gonna say I got to the point in my notes where I have the notes that I actually wrote when I was when I finished reading the chapter and my mm-hmm. first note is hmm is Kira the foe risen from the dead fuck yeah high five Woo-hoo, clink or <laughs> exactly uh, okay. All right. Cool. So, what else did you write there? So, it's good that we are on the same page there. I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, then I just made, wanted to make sure that I said that uh, the zipping the of the lips, chapter. like Artemis, and then I said another nightmare sequence. Same old Parzival Z descending further into being Nega Z. Negazi. Oh, yes, that's a good point. This is kind of very negazi. This is kind of it's the it's the opposite of him, right? That's a good way of putting it, right? I love that. Like Nega Scott, this is negazi. It's it's exactly. the kind of the it's the flip of him, you know. Whereas we had you know impoverished and highly skilled Z. Here we have wealthy and far less skilled Z. A little bit more of a dick. But going through kind of the same sort of situations. Very nice reference. I like that. Yeah, I thought you would. That's all the notes that I really had for that chapter. Yeah, and that's pretty much all that I've got as well. So you want to wrap it up? Uh, Yeah, well, I guess, um, do you have anything you, you want to foretell or guess about 
the forthcoming chapter or chapters. I mean, this was chapter seven. You know, seven's a big number, and we we got the shard. So, what do you see moving forward? Uh I think the next chapter is going to be chapter eight. No. Well, the next chapter is going to be him. Is it's going to be everyone flipping out? It's going to be. Uh, you know, Shoto interactions potentially, I think, with, with H, uh, probably maybe giving him shit for having paid somebody to do this. Maybe a lack of respect from, from the people whom, you know, were like the penultimate gunters in his circle. Because, you know, between them, they had this thing like they wouldn't help each other and they were friends. And here he's just using a complete stranger and paying that person off to get to the next level, right? Uh, and another thing here is I kind of wonder if if he's not in a race with his own high five, now that this has begun, now that we know that the crystal shards exist, that it's going to get their attention, that they're going to get back on, they're going to start competing against each other. I wonder if this isn't going to kind of trigger the race, uh, because at the moment, there's a degree of sort of equal power between Parzival and the rest of the High Five. But if he makes it to the end of this, that could be a threat. Who knows what additional power lies beyond that seventh shard? And and how is everyone else, now that they're going to take this shit seriously, now that they see he's on the board, now that they see that there's a competition, no matter how he got there... How are they going to fucking respond to that? Are they going to freak out? Are they going to make him an enemy? Are they going to get pissed off and say, don't ask for help from me, buddy. I'm going to get the next. I'm going to get the shards. I, I don't know. So it's it's kind of like, you know, the race is on. And another thing is that while Lohengrin may not tell anyone about how she got him, she did tell other people of her low five that she did get it. And she might not have told them how or where, but they might have been able to discern out of her activities and potentially feed hints back or leak hints back to the high five or anybody else that might decide to pursue. I don't know. I don't know where this is going to go. Well, the only way to find out is to shut up and read. Yeah, it looks like that's going to happen. All right. Well, with that in mind, we'll move on to that next chapter. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks. See you. And, and... Daito. Shoto. Shoto. Daito would be an interesting curveball, right? Uh, right. Getting calls from Shoto. And no, Daito comes back in the next chapter from the dead. Oh, thanks. sorry. Appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate <laughs> that. Uh,